The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low, net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Hey, American Hauntings listeners, it's Troy. Need more American Hauntings in your life? You know you do. So why not check out our other podcast, The Alternate Show, that we do for our Patreon supporters only. It comes out every other week opposite this one, which means you get our special kind of murder, mystery, mayhem, and the macabre every single week. Right now, we're in the middle of a season called Sinister, the true story of H.H. Holmes, the infamous serial killer linked to the 1893 World's Fair in Chicago. But of course, that's not all there is to his twisting, turning, and depraved story. So check it out and get that new episode every week and be a part of American Hauntings by becoming a Patreon supporter and subscribing at patreon.com slash American Hauntings. And now, on with the show. Before we begin, I want to set the stage for this one, one of the final episodes of the season, and acknowledge that this has been a pretty harrowing season of the podcast. It's been filled with pain and heartache, unsolved mysteries, possible murders, likely deaths, and a very large number of people who simply walked out the door one day and never came back. They were never seen again, which is what makes these stories so hard to hear, to write, and to talk about. As I often say in the introduction for each episode, these stories have no conclusion of any kind. But that's not the worst thing about them. The worst thing is that so many of our stories have involved children and teenagers. Walter Collins, Evelyn Hartley, Beverly Potts, Ruth Baumgartner, Melvin Horst, Bobby Dunbar, Charlie Ross, and a whole bunch of others. Students, babysitters, poor little kids just playing on the street. I mean, children are the most vulnerable members of our society. So I guess it should be no surprise to us that they are high on the list of those who vanish, never to be seen again. This will not be the last episode to feature a missing child or missing children, in this case teenagers, this season, but these stories are two of the most heartbreaking. So get ready for another tough one. Welcome to American Hauntings, the podcast dedicated to the history, hauntings, legends, lore, and the dark side of American history. And welcome to our latest season, Gone, which is hosted and produced by Cody Beck and written and performed by Troy Taylor. That's me. Since the start of American history, our nation has been plagued by tragic events, strange occurrences, and with mysteries that cannot be explained, just like the disappearances that we've been featuring this season. For our seventh season, we open the files of people who have gone missing and have vanished without a trace, never to be seen again. These have been stories of heartbreak, tragedy, and despair. 
They've been bizarre, unexpected, and have often seemed impossible. And yet they did happen. Every one of the people who've been part of this season walked into oblivion and just never returned. Every case remains open, every mystery unsolved. Each story ends with no real conclusion. Each person is simply gone. Well, the end of season seven is almost upon us, but we have a few more mysteries to revisit that remain unsolved, like this one, episode 22. Two stories about two young people who both vanished without a trace, leaving pain and heartbreak behind. Friday, September 28, 1973, was an ordinary day for 13-year-old Sharon Pretorius. After finishing her weekly piano lesson, she left her home in Dayton, Ohio, to collect money from the customers on her newspaper delivery route. Sharon worked in her own neighborhood, getting up early in the morning and delivering papers to readers' homes each day. Once a month, she took her Dayton Journal-Herald collection book and went door-to-door -door collecting the paper's subscription fee from those who received the paper she dropped off each day. Sharon's brother saw her leave home, collection book in hand, but she never visited any of the houses on her route that day. She never returned home, and she was never seen again. When she didn't arrive home that evening, Sharon's mother, Mary Carroll, called the Dayton police. She was a responsible, very responsible young woman, and her mother insisted that Sharon hadn't run away. Even so, when she spoke to the police that night around 10.30 p.m., she was told she had to wait at least 24 hours before she could file a missing persons report. This is, by the way, as we've stressed before, not the truth. In fact, when it comes to children, the sooner the search is started, the better. But I guess in 1973, the untruth allowed lazy cops to put off doing their job a little bit longer. The next day, Mary Carroll called the police again, and by now she was frantic with worry. Well, detectives who caught the case were angry about the delay in the report being filed, especially after quickly discovering that Sharon was not the kind of teenager to disappear on her own. Her father had died when she was seven, and she had a very close relationship with her mother. She'd recently started her freshman year at Fairview High School and had always been a straight-A student. She was so smart, she'd even skipped eighth grade. She also played the flute in the high school band and was excited about performing for the football game scheduled for the night after she vanished. A description of Sharon went out on the wire. She was tall for her age, five feet seven inches, and looked older than 13. Despite her appearance, though, her mother insisted she didn't date and had never had a boyfriend. She enjoyed her paper route and spent most of her time with her friends studying and playing music. One of her friends, Holly Samuels, said she didn't wear makeup and she always wore jeans or long skirts. She was quiet but never standoffish. She was always friendly. Sharon had two older brothers, but she was the oldest girl in the family, so she often helped care for her younger sister and two young brothers without complaint. I mean, it was the early 1970s. That's just how things were done in those days. Well, there was simply no reason for her to leave home. Months before, one of her cousins confided in Sharon that she sometimes thought about running away from home. Sharon talked her out of it. She told her she'd never felt that way. She never felt like she had anything to run away from and that made her disappearance even more baffling. The vanishing of this responsible, well-liked young woman sent a ripple through the community. 
When school officials learned she was missing, they decided to cancel the football game on Saturday night so that students could help in the search for Sharon. While the volunteers combed through every inch of Sharon's Dayton neighborhood, detectives went door to door interviewing residents to see if they'd seen Sharon or anything unusual on Friday afternoon. By Sunday morning, they had spoken with more than 250 people. By that afternoon, a group of Sharon's neighbors announced they were offering a $1,000 reward for information about the missing girl. They were hopeful it would bring Sharon home safely, but sadly, the reward was never collected. The police weren't doing much better than the volunteers. Dayton Police Sergeant Robert Hahn expressed how hard they'd been working, but with no results. He told reporters, We've been working on it extensively, but we just haven't turned anything up. A lot of people remember seeing her, but not on Friday. On Monday, detectives spoke with a witness who told them she had seen a young girl struggling with a man on a street corner not far from Sharon's house around 5.30 p.m. on Friday. The witness believed the man, described as being between 30 and 40 years old and around six feet tall, had gotten out of a dark blue 1965 Ford sedan. Officer James Paxton, who interviewed the witness, told reporters they hadn't seen anything else. They didn't see the young woman get forced into the car or what happened after that. He also couldn't say why the witness had done nothing to intervene. Anyway, the police did release a description of the man seen by the witness, but stressed they didn't know if the person was involved in Sharon's disappearance or if the young woman he was struggling with was Sharon at all. Even so, they did say the man had a medium complexion and a full beard and was wearing blue jeans, a dirty white t-shirt, a waist-length brown jacket, and a hat with brown trim. As the investigation slogged on, Dayton Police 5th District Chief G.H. Thurman stated that every police officer in the city was actively searching for Sharon. He assured the public they were running down every lead they received, no matter how small or insignificant they seemed. He encouraged anyone who thought they had any information to call the police station. Officer James Paxton, who found that witness who thought they'd seen Sharon struggling with the mystery man, spent 92 hours speaking with everyone who lived within a one-mile radius of Sharon's home. He hoped to find at least one more person who'd seen something useful on that Friday afternoon. But after knocking on so many doors that he lost count of them, he didn't find a single witness. On Wednesday night, several dozen people gathered at the Messiah Lutheran Church to pray for Sharon and her family. The young woman's pastor, Reverend Dale Truscott, told reporters that he planned to hold a prayer vigil every night until the young woman was found. He would ask God, he said, for Sharon's safe return. But if he did, his God wasn't listening. By Thursday, the reward for information in the case was up to $4,000. Most of the money came from private donors, including many of Sharon's classmates. The newspaper she delivered, the Dayton Journal-Herald, offered $1,000 of its own. Detectives were hopeful that the increased reward would bring in some fresh leads. The case was stalling out, but police supervisor Harry Henry insisted that the department had no intention of slowing down the investigation. But as it entered its second week with Sharon's fate still a mystery, detectives were becoming frustrated by the lack of information. 
They were still leaning on the public. They asked everyone to be on the lookout for the unidentified man driving the blue Ford, asking them to write down the license number and call the police. Well, this led to investigators running down dozens of dark blue Fords, but none of them could be connected to Sharon's disappearance. Since Sharon had last been seen walking down Cornell Drive with her collections book, the police were convinced that multiple people had to have seen her on that heavily traveled road before she vanished. They asked anyone who'd been driving on the road that afternoon to call with any information they had, no matter how insignificant it seemed. And then a call came in, just like the calls that come in during every case of a missing person. A man told Dayton cops he'd kidnapped Sharon and was holding her captive in Xenia, Ohio. He'd return her, he told them, for $150,000. When he was asked his name, the man hung up. He never called back. Detectives were confident it was a prank call. It was the first one, but of course it wouldn't be the last. Weeks passed. By the end of October, detectives had followed up on hundreds of tips and distributed thousands of flyers with Sharon's information, but still had no idea what had happened to her. They told reporters that tips and leads had now completely dried up and they had nowhere else to turn. And then things got worse. It turned out the one decent lead they had and which they had invested hundreds of hours in, the one about the mystery man in the blue Ford, wasn't as reliable as they'd hoped. The young woman who claimed she'd seen the man struggling with a girl who looked like Sharon had admitted that she didn't actually see it herself. Her aunt had and told her about it. Well, the aunt did confirm to the police that she'd witnessed the event, but a man who was with her at the time said he didn't recall seeing anything at all. Detectives had no idea who was telling the truth. But not all of them gave up. Sergeant Robert Hahn was a neighbor of Sharon and her family. He took a personal interest in the case, working countless hours on it when he was off duty. He clocked traffic patterns along Sharon's paper route and discovered the road wasn't as busy as investigators initially believed. He found breaks in traffic that lasted as long as 15 minutes, which meant a kidnapper would have had ample time to force Sharon into a car without ever being seen. Months passed and the case went from cold to downright freezing. By May 1974, Sharon's friends and family had resigned themselves to the fact it was unlikely Sharon would be coming home on her own. Her mother, Mary Carroll, told reporters, I don't want to sound morbid, but I'm sure she was abducted. There's no chance she would have run away. I know she didn't run away. And police officials agreed. They didn't have any concrete information, but didn't believe Sharon had run away either. A spokesman admitted, though, that, quote, if something doesn't break within a few weeks of an incident, then it's a matter of a long wait for something to turn up. Occasional tips still came in. Detectives followed up on all of them, no matter how bizarre they seemed. In 1974, a self-proclaimed psychic called and provided the location of a house where she claimed Sharon's body could be found. Lieutenant Richard Schulte stated that while they hadn't used information from psychics in the past, the cops figured they had nothing to lose and searched the property. They didn't find anything. And more time passed. By September 1975, Sharon had been missing for two years and the case was ice cold. 
Hoping to revive the case, her family announced they'd added another $1,000 to the reward fund, and they didn't care about the identity of her abductor. As her uncle told the press, her family just wanted Sharon to come home. But the reward remained unclaimed. Ten months later, it was canceled, and the money was donated to the Dayton Citizens Information Reward Fund. Officials first tried to give the money to Sharon's mother, but she refused. The money now would allow the police department to use the money to offer rewards for other crimes. Mary Carroll hoped it would help families not to have to suffer the way she and her other children had. Sharon's case became officially inactive, but it wasn't closed. The detectives who worked on it had been assigned to other cases, but they certainly didn't forget about it. Over the course of three years, most of them had gotten to know Sharon's family well, and it pained them they hadn't been able to bring the girl home. Privately, though, they believed she'd met with foul play and didn't think she'd ever be found. The feeling is that she's dead, one of them confessed, but you don't want to say a thing like that. Even though no one was actively working the case, they did follow up on leads that did come in. In July 1976, a tip claimed that Sharon's body was buried under a property on Tyson Avenue in Dayton. A house there had been raised two years earlier, and investigators used a backhoe to dig up a concrete slab that remained on the site. The tip had come from a police informant who'd been reliable in the past, but he was wrong this time. Nothing was found. In March 1977, investigators received another tip from someone claiming to know where Sharon was buried. The spot, they said, was that same house on Tyson Avenue, where the police had already looked. Well, the cops returned to the property and once again dug around the foundation of the demolished home. But once again, nothing was found. A police spokesperson told reporters there would be no more searches at that property. Well, decades passed, and Sharon's fate remained a mystery. By 1998, she'd been missing for 25 years, and most of the detectives who had worked the case had long since retired. Many of them, though, admitted that they still thought about Sharon. For some, it was the one unsolved case they had to leave behind that still nagged at them. And they weren't alone. Sharon's family still hadn't learned what happened to her either. Eventually, Mary Carroll seemed to accept the idea that she would never have answers. You never forget, she told reporters when the family held a memorial service for Sharon in July 2006. And you don't want to. But there comes a time when you have to move on. But I'm not sure they really did. The memorial service may have allowed them to formally say goodbye to Sharon, but they were unable to let go of the mystery. In 2011, they announced a new $2,500 reward for information leading to Sharon's remains. This got the Dayton Police Department involved again, too. New tips were followed, now using cadaver dogs and ground-penetrating radar and other things that hadn't been available in 1973. Detective Patricia Tackett stated, We believe there are people with information. Those involved may be deceased, but their families may have information. But the reheated investigation didn't last long. Soon things cooled off again, and there were no more answers discovered than there had been found 40 years earlier. Sadly, Mary Carroll died in June 2021 without ever learning what had happened to Sharon. But her sister and three brothers continued to hope that someday 
they might have answers, the answers they've been seeking for so long. Shortly after midnight on May 14th, 2008, a young man named Brandon Swanson drove his car into a ditch on his way home from celebrating the end of the spring semester with fellow students from Minnesota West Community and Technical College. The crash was minor and unheard. Brandon got out of the car and called his parents on his cell phone. Unsure of his exact location, he told them he believed he was near Lynn, Minnesota. He could see the lights, he told them. Roused from sleep, his parents hurried to the car to go and pick him up. They drove for more than a half hour, but were unable to locate him. Brandon remained on the phone with them almost the entire time as he walked toward town. Then suddenly, after 45 minutes on the line, he cried out and the call abruptly ended. Brandon has not been seen or heard from since. Brandon Swanson, who was 19 years old in 2008, grew up in Marshall, located in the southwestern corner of Minnesota. He was an avid reader and had worked at the local Hy-Vee grocery store for four years. He graduated from Marshall High School in 2007 and decided to study wind turbines for a year at Minnesota West Community and Technical College in Canby. After that, he intended to enroll in a four-year college and go into a career in the sciences. He had his whole life ahead of him, but it would be tragically cut short. Classes at Minnesota West ended for the year on May 13th. Brandon stayed in Canby for the evening to celebrate with friends. He attended two different parties and according to friends had a few drinks, but not enough alcohol to make him seem visibly intoxicated. Just before midnight, Brandon left Canby to make the 30 mile drive home to his parents' house. Now, he was very familiar with the drive from Canby to Marshall since he made it almost every day. And honestly, there's really no way to get lost. It's all one road. The two towns are directly connected by State Highway 68. There's little traffic in the area and the drive normally takes just over a half hour. This time though, Brandon ran into trouble. It's unknown how or why it happened, but Brandon swerved off the road and ran his Chevy Lumina into a ditch. He tried to back out, but it was no use. The car was stuck. After repeated calls to his friends that went unanswered, he called his parents. The phone rang at home at 1.54 a.m. He explained the problem and told them he was unable to move the car. He wasn't hurt, he assured them, but he needed them to come and pick him up. Brandon's parents, Brian and Annette, got in their truck and began driving toward where they believed their son had been stranded. He stayed on the phone with them, although the call dropped several times and they had to keep calling back. They followed the directions Brandon gave them to where he was waiting with the car. He told them he thought he was midway between the town of Lind and Marshall. Going by what he told them, Brian believed he knew exactly where his son was and it should have taken him only about 10 minutes to get there. But Here's the thing, Lind is not on the road between Canby and Marshall. It's actually a little southwest of Marshall on Route 23. Now there's no explanation for why Brandon either drove past Marshall toward Lind or took a side road that put him on the other highway. And no one asked. In fact, I'm not sure if anyone ever asked, but we'll come back to that. 
When his parents arrived at the spot where he was supposed to be, they didn't see Brandon or his car. Still on the line with them, they told Brandon to keep an eye out for them. After a couple of minutes, they started honking their horn and flashing the headlights of the truck, hoping he'd spot them. They were surprised when Brandon said he couldn't hear the horn and saw no lights on the road. Brian asked if he was certain he'd sent them to the right place, and Brandon said he had. So, changing tactics, Brandon started flashing the headlights of his stranded car. Now, they could hear the clicking noise made as he turned the lights on and off through the phone, but they couldn't see flashing headlights anywhere around them, even though they were surrounded by wide open fields. Now, Southwest Minnesota isn't exactly known for its rolling hills, so if Brandon had been anywhere along that dark road, they should have been able to spot him. By now, Brandon was aggravated. He was sure that he had accurately described his location to his parents and couldn't understand why they couldn't follow his directions. Well, they insisted they were exactly where Brandon had told them to go, but he was certain they were the ones who were confused. Finally, he just gave up and decided that things would be quicker if he left the car and just started walking toward the lights he could see up ahead. He believed he was looking at the small town of Lind, and he could easily walk there. He told his parents he'd meet them at the parking lot of a bar in town just to wait for him there. Brian agreed, dropped Annette off at home, and drove to Lind. Brandon remained on the phone with his father as he walked, updating him on his progress. He said he was walking along a gravel road because he'd taken a shortcut through a field. At one point, he mentioned he could hear running water nearby, but couldn't see it in the darkness. He just kept walking toward what he assumed were the lights of Lind. Shortly after 2.30 a.m., Brandon suddenly interrupted his father on the line. Oh, shit, he called out. A moment later, the call disconnected. Well, concerned, Brian tried to call back, but was unable to reach him. He called five or six times, but the calls went straight to Brandon's voicemail. For that to happen, it meant Brandon had turned his phone off, the battery was dead, or something happened to make the phone stop working. But whatever happened, Brandon Swanson has never been seen or heard from again. Brian wasn't sure what to do next. He drove back and forth over the same stretch of road, but found no sign of Brandon or his car. Annette and Brian started calling some of Brandon's friends, and they came out to help look for him. They searched throughout the night, driving along side roads and gravel drives, looking for Brandon's car, but found nothing. Finally, everyone met up in Lind at the same parking lot where Brandon was supposed to be. There was a chance he'd gotten there, they hoped but the lot was dark and empty. Well, now out of ideas, Brian and Annette finally started to panic. They were out of ideas, but they were certain that something bad had happened to their son. With no other options, they called the police around 6.30 a.m. Brian and Annette were frantic with worry, but it quickly became clear that the authorities didn't share their concerns. The police and Lynn told them it was hardly unusual for a young man of Brandon's age to stay out all night after the last day of college classes. Brandon was an adult, and it was, one of the officers told Annette, his right to be missing if he wanted to be. Well, Annette tried to explain this wasn't a case of an overprotective parent worrying about a kid who'd stayed out too late, and they went through the situation with the cops again, probably slowly and in words of few syllables. Well, Annette and Brian told them that something had happened to Brandon right before his phone went dead, and they were sure that it wasn't good. 
It took more than two hours to convince them, but the Lynn police finally agreed to open a missing persons case. After a perfunctory search around town, the local police felt confident that Brandon was not in Lynn. A search of the roads leading into town also failed to turn up anything. As far as they could tell, Brandon wasn't anywhere in their jurisdiction. Basically, after that, they just washed their hands of the situation. Meanwhile, Brian and Annette had not only continued their search for Brandon's car, but they'd also requested help from Lyon County Sheriff Joel Dahl. He soon had deputies searching the nearby roads. The sheriff's office also managed to obtain Brandon's cell phone records, hoping they would help pinpoint the location of the car. And that's when they made a startling discovery. There was a good reason why Brandon hadn't been found in the search around the town of Lind, because he'd never been close to it at all. The calls that he'd made to his parents the previous night had been made near Taunton, another small town, but one that was actually along State Highway 68. It was on the road that led directly from Canby, northwest of Marshall, and 25 miles from Lind, which, as I mentioned, was not on the same highway. Since Taunton was also on the way home, it made sense that Brandon was close to it as he traveled from Canby to Marshall. Less understandable, though, was why he thought he was in Lind and how he had gotten there in the first place, or how he would have gotten there in the first place, because that's not on the route home. There's also one other little issue. Why was he in Taunton at 2 a.m.? Leaving Canby on Highway 68, it's only 13 miles to Taunton, which should take no more than 15 minutes. From Taunton, Brandon only had another 17 miles to drive to reach Marshall, where he lived. His friends believed he'd left Canby shortly after midnight. That means it somehow took him nearly two hours to drive only 13 miles. And for some reason, Brandon believed he was on the other side of Marshall, like he'd gone home and drove past it, almost to Lind when he drove into the ditch. By searching near Taunton, County deputies quickly located Brandon's abandoned car in a ditch off a gravel road along the Lincoln County line. But it was one mile north of Highway 68, so he wasn't even on the highway that took him home. Brandon's Lumina had gotten hung up on the top of an incline at the edge of the road. The car wasn't damaged, but it was tipped in a way that the wheels couldn't touch the ground on one side. That's why Brandon was unable to move it. There was nothing else wrong with the car. The grass and gravel that surrounded the car made it impossible to find tracks and to determine which direction Brandon might have started walking. Investigators searched the inside of the car but found nothing to suggest that Brandon had been injured when he slid into the ditch. It was clear that Brandon had accurately described exactly what happened when he called his parents. The only thing he got wrong was the location. He thought the lights he saw in the distance were from Lind, but he was nowhere near there. And again, I'm dying for someone to ask why he thought he was in Lind, since just a glance at a map shows that it's not on the way home. Well, officials discovered that Brandon's cell phone calls had been routed through a tower at the intersections of Route 3 and 10, near Miniota, a small town nearby. The calls had come from within five miles of the tower, which narrowed the search field. Since part of the search area included Yellow Medicine County on the north, deputies from that sheriff's office also joined in the search. An extensive search was launched using small planes and helicopters to cover wide open ground from above. 
Search dogs were brought in from Minneapolis, St. Paul, but a team of bloodhounds from nearby Coddington County, South Dakota, were the first to pick up on Brandon's scent. They followed the trail for nearly three miles as it skirted past fields and headed in a north northwest direction to an abandoned farm. The dogs continued past the farm and headed along the Yellow Medicine River. When they reached a certain point, the dogs seemed to indicate that Brandon had entered the river at that spot. The river there flowed from knee-deep to about 15 feet in other places, so even if Brandon had entered the water, it's unlikely he would have drowned. It's also possible he made it to the other side, but the dogs couldn't follow the trail any further. The location seemed to fit Brandon's call to his father. Brian remembered him mentioning fences and hearing water nearby, but he didn't understand why Brandon had left the road in the first place. He said he was following a shortcut, but how was a three-mile hike through woods and fields any kind of shortcut to town? Even though it seemed that Brandon likely would have survived falling into the river, boats from the Minnesota Department of Natural Resources were deployed, and deputies walked the riverbanks for miles in every direction. Horses and ATVs covered the surrounding area, but there was no sign of Brandon's body. Investigators believe he probably drowned in the river, but if he had, they thought they would have found him. Well, the official search for Brandon was suspended after a week, but friends and family continued to look on their own. On May 24th, and again on June 7th, around 100 volunteers joined Brian and Annette as they searched the area south and to the east of where his car was found. But there were no signs of Brandon. Sheriff's deputies were baffled by the case. A few of them even walked the banks of the Yellow Medicine River in their free time, hoping to find one clue they might have missed. In the weeks that followed, Brian and Annette left their porch light on all night, every night as a symbol of their hope that Brandon would eventually return or be found. And to this day, that light stays on. The search effort resumed that fall, once all the fields in the area had been harvested and cleared. Dogs were again brought in to assist, and though they seemed to be following a scent trail into an area near the town of Porter, which was northwest of Taunton, they eventually lost the scent. And once again, no trace of Brandon was found. The search was suspended over the winter, but efforts picked up again in the spring, after the snow had melted, but before the fields were planted. By this time, 122 square miles had been thoroughly searched using more than 500 volunteers, 34 dog handlers from nine different states, and countless hours of hard work. In 2010, two years after Brandon vanished, the Minnesota Bureau of Criminal Apprehension took over as the lead agency on the case. It set up a tip line, which generated more than 90 leads, and they moved the search area towards Mud Creek, a tributary of the Yellow Medicine River that was directly north of Taunton. They didn't find anything, but they continued to search that area periodically over the years. But even with the renewed interest in the case, no clues to Brandon's whereabouts were found. And needless to say, this has made it easy to speculate about what did happen to him that night on the highway. There are some who believe that Brandon intentionally disappeared, that he staged the whole thing. This seems pretty unlikely, though. He was a good student and had just completed a wind energy certification course. He had plenty of friends, no problems at home or school, and had plans to transfer to Iowa in a few months to continue his education. 
He wasn't in any kind of legal trouble, and as mentioned, he was very close with his family. Besides that, it really doesn't seem plausible to get your car stuck on the side of the road, call your parents for help, then stay on the phone with them for an hour until pretending to experience some kind of shocking event just so you can disappear for no logical reason. Both Brian and Annette assisted he would not have done that. Another theory is that Brandon was struck and killed by a car while walking and the driver panicked and hit his body. But this also seems pretty unlikely. Brandon told his father he was cutting through fields, not walking along the road. This was supported by cell phone records and the path followed by the tracking dogs. Both indicate that Brandon was not walking on the highway. Additionally, if this had happened, there would have been some kind of evidence left at the scene. Blood, tire marks, or possibly pieces of a vehicle would have been found during the extensive searches, but nothing ever was. So if Brandon didn't run away or die by accident, this, well, leaves foul play. Could someone have followed him home from the last party he left and grabbed him when they had the chance? Or did he meet someone after the party and come to harm? Or could he have been a victim of chance, running into a killer on the road who saw the opportunity and took it? Well, these things may not be impossible, but again, they're pretty unlikely. The area where Brandon disappeared was sparsely populated. Taunton, for example, had a population of 135 people at the time. Most of the area is farmland. The houses are few and far between. It would have been almost impossible to lie and wait for him because there was no way of knowing ahead of time that he was going to get his car stuck in a ditch and then continue on foot. The chance that someone spotted him walking in the dark in the middle of nowhere and just decided to kill him is also pretty slim, especially when you consider how few people were around there anyway. What seems more possible is that Brandon's disappearance was a tragic accident. He was trying to make his way on foot along dark fields and side roads. There were no street lights to guide him and no homes or businesses to light the way. He was surrounded by corn and soybean fields that all looked alike in the dark. He mentioned to his father that he heard running water in the darkness, but he didn't seem concerned about it. Even so, it's possible he slipped into the river at some point. This may have been when he cried out while on the phone with his father, and if the phone went into the river, it might have stopped working, which is why Brian couldn't reach him when he repeatedly called him. But even if Brian did go into the water, it doesn't mean he drowned. He could have gotten out of the river, disoriented, but still alive. He might have even kept walking for a while, but he would have been wet and cold. It was early May in Minnesota, after all, and he could have died from hypothermia. If he did, his body could have been scattered by animals. There are wild animals in Minnesota, like bears, coyotes, and wildcats, and if they discovered his remains, they would almost certainly have been eaten. But if that did happen, why weren't Brandon's keys, phone, and glasses found during all those searches? Were they just missing, or were they never there at all? We'll never know. Or will we probably ever get answers to the questions I really want answered? Like, why did Brandon think he was near Lynn that night? And why did it take him nearly two hours to make a 13-mile drive? Where was he during that time? These questions have never been addressed. Maybe someday they will be. I don't know. But there is one good thing that came out of all of this. 
Annette Swanson never forgot the initial response of the police, and she and Brian began pushing for changes in state law that would require an investigation into the case of missing young adults under the age of 21. Brandon's law, as it became known, became official in 2008. Annette knew that it wouldn't help in her son's case, but it might save other lives in the future. And sometimes that's the best we can do. Have you ever wanted to learn a new language? And I don't mean like spells or incantations to trap spirits, you weirdos. I mean like a new language that could help you start communicating with more people on this plane today. Then I need to tell you about Rosetta Stone. Look, you know the brand, you know the name. They have the expertise and a 30-year legacy, which makes them more qualified than ever to help you learn a new language today. They've helped millions of people build the fluency and confidence to speak new languages. Now, this is the part where Troy would tell me that I made some kind of grammatical error, but he's not here right now, so like, I don't know, it's like speaking tongues. Rosetta Stone focuses on speaking practice for real-life scenarios to get you ready for real conversations with real people. Or maybe you can even learn how to use some different types of Ouija boards. I don't know. Either way, Rosetta Stone can help you learn faster and retain your new language Better. Honestly, Rosetta Stone really would have come in handy for season four of New Orleans because I know we butchered some of those French names and I apologize once again. Now you all know I have a nine to five job when I'm not at the podcast factory and Rosetta Stone actually helped me not make a total fool out of myself while I was in Brazil interviewing celebrities. Obrigado. And now I want to help you. So don't put off learning that new language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, American Hauntings podcast listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com today today. Rosetta Stone, how language is learned. Wait, by the way, Troy, like where do words come from? Hey, no, don't, 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 don't walk away. Oh, Troy, where do words? What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. Yeah, no, it's it's recording, so that's all that matters. So, all right. Are you good to go then? Sure. Yeah. All right. Thanks for returning for more episodes of the American Hauntings podcast, where we discuss history, hauntings, legends, lore, and the dark side of American history. This is season seven of the podcast, which we call. 
That was nice. I like. I don't it. know if AS- you could hear that or not, but yeah, ASMR. this is kind of an ASMR kind of thing. Yeah, um, I'm your co-host. In fact, I think Beck. I'm just going to do the entire show that way. Oh, please. I'm just going to whisper everything. Yeah, a very with calm me, voice. With me is my whispering co-host, uh, author, historian, <laughs> crybuff, founder of American Haunting, Troy Taylor. Hey, how are you? I'm doing well. Busy as hell, but I'm yeah. as we always are. You know. Yeah. Well, and I have seen you since uh, the last time we recorded, but yeah. Um, yeah, we haven't done a, a regular show. So the yeah. last one was the movie one. So I feel out of practice. So I know, right? And then we, yeah, and we did some in October. You yeah, you came along for our uh, uh, one of the bus tours. That was fun. It was, it was good fun. Night. Yeah, it was a good night. So yeah. Um, so yeah, so we're doing, yeah. When was the last time we did a regular episode even? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess the week before Halloween. Because oh, so we had one, not that, well, not that long ago. We had one every week in October. So, and then we did the the uh, the, the the movie one, and now we've taken a break, and it just seems weird to have taken a break. I know, <laughs> it's, you know. it is. Plus, we've yeah. been doing all those Alton episodes too, so that was, you know, uh, that was a lot, lot of episodes all just, together. There, we just yeah. we bite off more than we can chew. All the oh time. no, it worked out fine. No, it yeah, it was perfect, fine. but. Um, yeah, well, okay. Speaking of the, the bus tour and all that fun stuff, uh, what else do you have coming up? I know a lot of people think it's just Halloween time. It's not. Oh, true. Yeah, no. So what's, no, what's, what but, do you have to round out the year? Most of our November and December stuff, um, tour wise is uh, filling up. Not, I don't think it's, everything is quite full. Uh, a couple of them are, but not all of them. Uh, the ones in December, I think we have a few spots left. And then really the only real event that we have before the end of the year is, um, our big Christmas event on the 16th. Uh, it's not full yet, but we do that one. That's our big one. That's the big, we do that down in the ballroom and everything. So it's kind of a big deal. So, nice. uh, but we're, yeah, it's filling up too. And then, um, you know, they won't be off for a while, about a month. And then we'll come back in January with the St. Louis exorcism and uh, the Donner party and blah, and on from there. And then the next month will be dead of winter. And so, yeah, we'll just, as soon as the new year rings in, we start picking up again so things get busy yeah and i have uh some, i'm working on some uh some tricks and fun things for dead of winter that i'll Good. tell you about Good. later um what are you going to do so if you're not doing like um events and dinners and stuff and we're taking a small break from the podcast what are you going to do keep doing the same things i always do <laughs> I, I'm, <laughs> sorry, gonna, I'm just, just gonna do it peacefully gonna, yeah 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 it'll just be that you know i don't have to go anywhere yeah it, but no i'll um I'm sure I'll be working on uh, book stuff, you know, mm-hmm. and things. So we may take a little trip. I don't know. I haven't decided yeah. yet, but so I'm be still be writing. It. I'll still be writing. So I got, you know, I got stuff coming out. So yeah, you, I'll stay, you, uh, I'll stay busy. I can't not do it. So, oh, I know I that's, that's stop. Right. So it just, it's, I'm incapable of it. So it's, it's just, no, I, I, keep doing I it. hear it. You'll, you'll end up, you're going to, I was going to say, you're, you'll keep writing books, but you'll be able to write them for more than like an hour at a time. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. There you go. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. You remember quarantine when you busted out like, Oh God. Yeah. I didn't have anything else to do. I, you know, I, I had to, so. Yeah. Um, what is, what is that, uh, December 16th event, um, consist of what makes it different or more special than, the uh, other it's kind of my, uh, I would say it's an anti Christmas thing. It's just kind of the, it's not the, the, the joy, peace and light version of Christmas. Uh-huh. It's, you know, ancient customs, uh, Christmas monsters, you Krampus. know, if you're not yeah, like Krampus, if you're not good, someone's going to eat you kind of thing. And then, uh, and, and then it usually spirals into, you know, Christmas season, 
murders, disasters, disappearances, things like that. So it's just sort of it's just kind of the other side of the holidays kind of thing, you know, and um, I've been doing it for a few years now. And it's it's gotten like each year it gets more popular, which is kind of fun, you know, that that because we've had a good time with it and people seem to enjoy it. It's it's just something different. You know, Mm -hmm. it's just something a little different to do for the holidays. So, yeah, I'm excited about it. I, I really enjoy doing it every year. So. And you gonna have a, a Festivus poll or anything? Uh no, probably not. No, Festivus doesn't actually work into that. So ah, okay, yeah, it's a, I kind of leave out the the Seinfeld stuff. So fair <laughs> enough. Um, and just one other thing, I'll point out. Um, I haven't seen people for a while, but it is No Shave November, so I have a terrible mustache going on right now. But it will be villain like by the end of the month. Oh, okay, sure. Um, it will it will unlike the thirtieth? Like- so yeah, I said the end of the month. I meant literally. Yeah, I'm um, doing. Was, I'm doing a no shave November. Yeah, shave. the reason yeah. I said it is because I was looking at your gorgeous <laughs> facial hair right there and just. Oh. Uh, okay, well, let's on to some positive things. Uh, we have a listener review, <laughs> okay. and this is from your old pal, your old pal Joe. And I just want to say he got my attention because the title is "Hey Cody, read this review." Oh, so <laughs> right, right there. Uh, the review says American Honey's podcast is the finest podcast in the land. <laughs> Roy and Cody do a, such a spectacular job of putting it together. Every episode of every season is better than the next. I've listened to everyone and can't pick a favorite. Troy's retelling of the tale and Cody's follow-up questions make a perfect combination. I can't recommend it enough. Keep up the fantastic job. Well, thanks, Joe. And hey, you yeah. got right to the point. Cody, read yeah, those. I like nice. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Got your attention. <laughs> got my attention. And Troy, you have some stuff yeah, you want to I share. I do. Uh, yeah. I've got um, I've got some new texts. Uh, we, since we didn't have a show last week, they kind of piled up on us a little bit. Uh, but if you uh, if you have a question you'd like to have answered on the show, uh, you can email Cody at the address that uh, we'll mention, you know, um, American Honey's podcast. No. Yeah. Americanhoneypodcast at gmail.com. Gmail.com. That's right. Um, so yeah, and we'll we'll talk more about that when we get to the ghostwriter section. But um, you can also text us at 217-791-7859 if you want. And you know, I've had a little bit of you know, we've had some really good feedback about this. We've had a lot of a lot of messages come in. So we've had a lot of things coming from that. You know, we've had some crybaby stuff about how, oh, we only read the good ones. Well, unfortunately, that's all we've gotten. So, you know, um, yeah, sorry to, sorry to disappoint, but that's the way it goes sometimes, I guess. Um, so anyway, uh, let me read a couple of these. Um, this is from Mick uh, in the 740, except I know he's not actually in the 740 because I just saw him a couple of weeks ago, uh, but he did have a question. He said, hey there, Troy and Cody. Uh, He asks, first, do you have any more information on the woman who hung herself at the Monroe House in Hartford City, Indiana? I didn't get a lot of information about her while on an investigation there uh, back in September. I don't, Um, but Michelle might. And since Mick knows who Michelle is, um, he can he can ask her. And if I hear anything else about it or Michelle hears this, uh, she can let me know or let Mick know. Uh, But this is the question that was more of a local question. And this one's for you. And it says, uh, Cody, uh, what is the best pizza? a place in the alton area oh my gosh okay yeah. how much time i know no. loaded question um yeah so it's i mean it really depends on what you like but uh i will say 
Um, you know, I pretty much eat just meat and cheese on pizza, so mm-hmm. I, I can't really speak about, you know, uh, too many veggies and that sort of thing or like gluten free, this, that, the other. Um, but just the, the pizzas that I particularly love, um, I love Tony's pizza. Toronto Me too. There. Yes. Now then the, uh, the if you the sauce is really sweet. So if that's not something you yeah. like. Um, then yeah, that would it. be good, but but I love it. Um, I also love Roma's in Bethalto. Um, yeah, it was my that was I was going to say that too. Yeah, it's kind <laughs> of it's changed a little bit over the years, but I do still like it um, a lot. Yeah. Uh, if you, I mean, this is a very divisive thing, but you know, emos. I love emos. Um, well, see, you know, actually, I was going to say if you're going to go for the Prevel thing um, mm-hmm. instead of emos, I go Decaro's. Oh sure, yes. De- yeah, yes, Decaro's, Decaro's is great with the too. Prevel is really good. So there you go. There's some options. What else? Do you Absolutely. Got? Um, Any others? I mean, no. If you're if you're talking St. Louis, we can do that another time. But as far yeah. as Alton goes, that's um. Those are the top three, I think. Yeah, at least I would in say Alton, so. Yeah. Right. Well, but, anyway, yeah, great, he said, "Hey, love the show and all you do." So, um, oh, thank you. Yeah, we we we'll get too far in the weeds if we keep going pizza. Troy, you so. got me a pizza book too one time for my birthday or something. I yes. love it. Yes. So, uh, and this is from Adam in the 419. He's in Ohio. He says, thanks for all you folks do. Always brightens my day when I see a new episode pop up. Uh, This next one is from Amber in the 906. She said, I just wanted to let you know, I absolutely love the podcast. Also, I homeschool my two boys and I use it as a subject for their schooling. Probably what not to say. What? Uh, (laughs) And they absolutely love all the history, especially the haunted aspects of it. So that's kind of cool. You know, I, I, uh, I don't know. Don't, don't go too close by anything we do or say, just in case. Yeah, it's kids. I don't want to be a bad influence. So anymore, we already are. are. Okay, this is from Mandy, the 253. She says, hello, my name's Mandy. I love your podcast. Listen to it at work. I currently live in Washington, but all my family is in the St. Louis, Festus, Missouri area. So it's cool to hear about the history of the area. I've been too many times. Most of my family don't believe in spooky things, so they never told me anything about it. (laughs) So love everything about the show. Hope you guys uh, come out and oh, hope to come out and see you guys eventually. So that was a nice one, too. Um, And this next one is from Greg, and he is in the 417. He says, hey, guys, my name's Greg. I really enjoy the podcast. I've binged every single episode you put out. Have you heard about Lauren Bible and Ashley Freeman, who went missing from Northeast Oklahoma, really close to where I live? Keep up the good work. I haven't, but it is now on my list. So I, I did uh, I did save that. So uh, this one is from the 605. And this one says, great podcast content. I stumbled across the podcast while I was doing some remodeling on our centuries-old home, which happens to be in an almost ghost town in rural South Dakota. Uh, my first episode was the ghost ship, you know, the one where we debunked along with oh that was the historical debunking of the bermuda triangle i recently put out the article that i didn't write a scientist did about why it's crap uh but anyway that was the ghost ship episode he's been hooked ever since accolades for featuring stories from such an array of time periods mysteries from hundreds of years ago and vanishings of mere decades ago keep things exciting keeps things exciting makes it exciting wondering what wondering with every new episode where the timeline is going to land Being a bit of a history buff myself, hopefully this text will reach you prior to my birthday, which is 20 years to the day after the unfortunate assassination of JFK. So we did 
put this out before his birthday. So the 22nd, the great yeah. work. Yes, sure. it would be the 22nd. Uh, and this one, <laughs> yeah, I, I had to include this. Um, this one uh, is uh, from the 865. And it said, really, Troy, I'm disappointed. You didn't remember Ed Kemper's name. Yeah, I didn't. We did eventually, but we, yeah. it did take me too long to do it. I uh, I was I was also disappointed in myself, although it is a little outside of my normal time range of of interest. So that's all I can say to this. My, my only excuse. Uh, this was from the 740. It says, just want to say I love the podcast, even season one. I used to live out in Illinois over in Chicago Heights and heard many of the stories you've covered for Illinois. I've even been to Bowser's Grove Cemetery and got some real nice photos while I was there. Uh, this one is a suggestion for us for the horror theme uh, for next year's show. Mm -hmm. Isolation. Okay. The Thing or Anything in Space. I bet we uh -huh. could put together a whole series on that. Oh, totally. A whole uh, thing. <coughs> Excuse me. And then his, um, there, he or she, I'm sorry, uh, this is from the 910, um, 13-year-old son suggests horror animals, Ooh. pet cemetery, you know, things like that. So I kind of like that one. Yeah. So uh, this one is a suggestion for the name of this line. Yes. Uh, the, the deadline. Did We didn't, that wasn't Ooh. one that came up, did it? That's Carol. I don't think so. Carol, a listener from the beginning from the 479. So that's not bad either. I like that too. Yeah. Where were we at on that? Do you remember where, what our suggestions were? Yeah, we uh, were so, written down somewhere. Yeah, Bob gave us one, and oh gosh, I can't remember what the other one was. Uh, but yeah, go on. We'll, we'll well, this we'll is talk. another one from the five two zero. This one is ghastly scribble. I I can't even say that. So um, <laughs> I love you for suggesting it, but I do not like the name. I apologize, but I'm not digging it. So. It's because of who we are. Yeah, yeah, right. Exactly. Uh, this was for the six, six, seven, eight from Eddie in the six, seven, eight it says, Troy, I just started reading Suffer the Children. And it's interesting. I'm on the chapter about Leopold and Loeb. And I'm pressed, impressed at all the details you have in the chapter. Cody, you need to write a book. Mm, yeah, man, after my own heart, <laughs> I'd love to one day. Uh, and this one is from, uh, this was from Tim. Uh, I know Tim. Uh, he just sent this over. He sent a photo of uh, he and his daughter. Uh, they come to some of our events and stuff, so I know Tim. Uh, but they took a picture at the Wildy Theater in Edwardsville. So Tim and the 618, we'll leave it at that. Uh, hey, this is Tim. My daughter and I enjoyed the Wildy presentation. We're hoping to get out some more stuff soon. Been nice catching up on the podcast since I now teach in Gillespie. As soon as I as soon as I am, I plan on joining Patreon for more episodes. Uh, I think he's do it. He has a little more. The last time I talked to him, he said this was going to give him a little more free time on his hands. So because uh, I have a book signing coming up on the 25th. Oh, we won't have we may not have another show before that. I should probably mention that uh, small business Saturday got a book signing at the Mineral Springs in Alton. So um, come out and see us. Uh, we won't have an episode till after that. So that is Saturday, the 25th. I, I'm glad that uh, it made me think because I saw Tim at the last one. Um, so yeah, um, good. come by, see me on that day. It's uh, like I said, small business Saturday, support your local small business being us in this one and, uh, come see me at the mineral Springs. going to do a book signing from noon to three that day. So uh, we get your Christmas there? gifts. So what's that? Should we record there that day? Uh, no. Why okay. would we? If we, have an, <laughs> if we have another episode coming out oh two yeah days but it won't after that uh, i don't think we do though oh yeah we do 
Well, never mind. We'll figure it out. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we do, we can figure that out not on the show. So Yeah, it's fun this way. Yeah. Um, no, so that, anyway, all- those are our text lines. Uh, that's our text line, whatever we're going to call it. We haven't decided yet. But if you want to join in, um, just send us a text, 217-791-7859. Okay, yeah, so hit up, hit up the text line, and um, yeah, let's keep that going. Uh, are you ready to dive into the stories? Sure, sure. I yeah, like no, how you... I like how you started out um, with a trigger warning. And as soon as I read that, I was like, oh, I can't wait. Okay. <laughs> uh, well, so- I, I just, I mean, they're, 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 usually I try to tie these two stories together. And really the only thing that ties them together this time is that they're both teenagers. They're both young people, still kids, really. And, um, but they were two stories that I wanted to make sure that I included. And they weren't long enough for two separate episodes. So they got to be together. Um, gotcha. and it, it's, you know, they're both, they're both sad stories. Uh, although, although the second one just frustrates the hell out of me, but, yes. um, as you might've noticed, well, yes. the way I, it really did. Um, and this first one is just sad, man. It's just sad. It is. And, and I'm going to dive into it, but I do have a question first. Um, you do mention may, um, in, in one of the, this first one, at least, um, some like kind of tips that come in and people aren't able to, you know, nothing really comes of them yeah, or anything. Yeah, yeah. Um, but when you research things, especially like these cases, um, do you leave out some things that just can't be verified at all as far as like speculations um, and leads and all it that? It depends. I mean, sometimes something will come up that is just absolutely, you know, completely the wrong direction. And that's sometimes interesting enough to include um a lot of things though like you know this this whole thing with the woman who said that she saw the guy with the blue car and then we find out that she lied she never saw it her aunt supposedly did but the guy that was with her never saw anything so all this time that was spent searching for the blue car was a complete waste of time most likely Mm -hmm. and so that you know um i thought it was was worth pursuing a little bit more and, and mentioning it and bringing it in. But yeah, sometimes it, really minor things, you, you just leave them out. They, they're not really, they're not important because they're not part of the story and they didn't lead anywhere anyway. Uh, so yeah, you're right. I do sometimes do that. Got it. Yeah. Well, that's interesting because I think it is important to show um, when police and people have no leads to go on, they'll go for, you know, what one lead they think they well, have, sure. but, but that takes resources away from, Act, you know, yeah, going well, in and, and then the digging underneath that one house, and so mm-hmm. which they did twice, you yeah. know, because they had nowhere else to go with it, you know. Yeah. So, so yeah, thirteen-year-old uh, Sharon Pretorius, is that correct? Yes. yes uh, in is. Dayton, never comes home from her paper route. Uh, yeah, and I, I, I tried to put a little explanation in there uh, for about that, the subscription thing. I, yeah, I don't think that. I don't think I. I'm sure that you don't know anything about. Well, my, my collecting on a paper route. My friends, I mean, were a paper, paper route's boys. one thing, but but did they have to go around and collect though? I don't think so. See, I don't think so either. I think that after the, not maybe just because of this case, because I know people were still doing it after this, but I, I'm thinking that at some point they they realized that was not really a safe thing for kids to be out doing, you know, and uh, probably one too many missing paper boys and girls, you know, uh, that that might have been a clue for somebody. So, yeah, I thought that I should mention how that 
kind of worked that they were going around and collecting the money from the fee. But, you know, I remember, um, you know, gosh, well, I was a pretty young kid and I remember people doing it and, you know, they'd have to keep, just keep going back because people wouldn't be home or they wouldn't have the right change and, and just crazy stuff like that or, or, you know, would dodge the paper boy, you know, so they didn't have to pay their dollar 59 or whatever it was, you know, stuff yeah. like that. Crazy, you know, but, um, yeah, it's, it was one of those things I remembered, but I just didn't know that other people would, you know, sure. have a clue what it was about. So, yeah, I mean, Detroit child labor laws are ruining this country. Mm -hmm. You used to be able to get these kids to go. Yeah. They used to be able to, we used to put them in coal mines and everything. <laughs> now we can't do that. So um, yeah, that that was so yeah something I hadn't really thought of because I I've done a paper up before with one of my friends in geez maybe eighth grade or like freshman year up around like Henry Street and all that um, super early in the morning but I don't think they ever had to collect money from people yeah so yeah probably by then it was um, yeah that was a thing of the past right and you noted um, yeah you again you don't have to wait to file a missing persons report. Right. Again, uh, that needs to be mentioned once again, that you do not have to wait. So please, it's just it's it, there's a piece of advice. If you learn nothing else from our podcast ever. Cody and I have had two good pieces of advice for you. One, someone disappears. You do not have to wait 24 hours to file a missing persons report. Secondly, do not say anything. Ask for a lawyer. That's it. Don't say a word. Just say, I want a lawyer mm -hmm. that's all you got to say let the lawyer handle it because and you don't want to say the wrong thing even if you know you're innocent it doesn't matter prisons are not full but prisons are are sprinkled with innocent people so yes and when we say, say yeah and when we say don't say anything we literally mean anything no, no jokes no jabs no yeah. frustrations nothing yes. just say you want a lawyer and shut the hell up Yep. Uh, um, anyway. Okay. Uh, so yeah, so she goes missing. Um, she mentioned before that she didn't, you know, wouldn't run away from home. Seems like a sharp kid. Uh, everybody, I mean, they cancel football games get, to get yeah. search people out there, rewards set up. Um, no real leads despite a lot of effort. Uh, by that Thursday, the rewards up to 4k. Um, then why are these, we have these pranks and things. I know every time, every time. You know, and I, I even I even said that because here we are again, you know, same thing. It's always a prank, always a prank it's, call. People were sick. They I really know. Are. I feel like if you should keep trying to find the kid, but also put a side thing out after we find her, we're going after this person. That yeah, did this right. Prank no call. kidding. I know uh, they follow up on a ton of tips. No clue who's really telling the truth about things. Of course, they bring in a psychic or a psychic comes forth. Well, psychic comes to them and they're kind of like, well, you know, this has never really worked before. But hey, what the hell? It's the 70s. Right. So, yeah, we're going to roll with it. And um, yeah, as usual, it doesn't really work out. So It's so yeah. funny how that happens. Uh, I know, right? The reward money goes up. Uh, you said the case became inactive, but not closed. So how, do you know how that works? The, the well, I mean, if nope, no, but I mean, it's not closed. If it was closed, they'd file it and put the file away in the basement. That'd be the end of it. You know, instead, it just kind of goes into a cold case file and it sits. Mm -hmm. And every once in a while, as in this case and with lots of others, 
for one reason or another, they'll reopen something and, and start working on it again. Uh, either they have a, you know, cold case detectives or they have volunteers that are often like retired detectives and stuff that will reopen you know, these really cold cases and, and, you know, bring new life into them again. And, um, you know, they ended up doing that. They reopened it a couple of times, but it was not, I, sh I shouldn't even say reopen because it's not, it's not closed. Um, if it's a, probable or possible murder, you don't close the case. I mean, murder cases are never closed. They always stay open. Um, and so when you've got a disappearance, it's kind of assumed at some point that there's probably foul play involved. And so there it sits, you know. Oh, I didn't I didn't know that about the the murder case stuff. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Mur there's no statute of limitations on murder ever. OK, so, so that, that, even if you sense, if then. you killed somebody in. Well, that's why they you know, they'll go, hey, 70 years later, we've got DNA and now proves who it was. And a lot of times those people are dead. So, I mean, you know, if the suspect is dead, you can look at it, and go, well, at least we at least we brought closure. Uh -huh. But they technically they got away with it. You know, they lived out the rest of their life and died somewhere else and never got caught. Um, so I think that is for for a lot of detectives, that is still kind of a letdown. They want it to be somebody who's still alive so they can grab them, you know, yeah. and, and really bring something to the family instead of just, you know, oh, OK, well, we know who did it, but sorry, you know, too late now. Yeah, I'm guessing with a lot of these two, um, if they think, you know, there might be something more to it, then keeping it inactive would at least keep it uh somewhere top of mind for some people sure. and it wouldn't just yeah, get lost for somebody in the yeah and you know in this case i talked about a couple of the cops you know ones that took the initial stories guy who lived in the neighborhood you know who and and all of these guys got to know this family i think they were nice people and everybody liked this girl i'm gonna say if everybody liked this girl the way they did i'd say her parents were probably pretty cool too and mm -hmm. so people really liked them and these cops got to like them and were close with the family and they didn't want to close this thing i mean these guys were working on it after they retired and they're and they're off time when they were off duty they were still working the case spending their own time going door to door trying to you know find anybody who'd seen anything you know timing traffic on the street that yeah. one guy is like out on the street timing cars to see if there's breaks in traffic and then finding out there were plenty of them that it mm -hmm. wasn't as busy as they thought you know now what 15 minutes did he say it was yeah he said it was a good 15 minutes in between cars at different points and he's like man anybody could have grabbed this girl and taken off with her and nobody would have seen a thing yeah and nobody did i mean they went to every door i mean hundreds of houses but nothing I mean, this yeah. is probably one of the most mysterious, no clues, no nothing cases that we've looked at all season, man. It just, it's crazy. Yeah. And yeah, since there's nothing to go on, there's so many different, you know, theories you can pop up. In yeah, your because it's not, you know, so many of these, and, and this isn't to cast aspersions on people who go missing by any means, but with so many of these cases, there's always these sketchy things going on. Oh, they yeah. were, you know, oh, they were a drug user, or they knew somebody who, you know, killed somebody or, mm -hmm. you know, whatever. There's all these little weird thick connections. But in this case, there aren't any. No, no sketchy friends, no sketchy relatives, not, no reason for her to run away. She doesn't have a boyfriend. She's not pregnant. She's not nothing. You know, there's just nothing. I mean, it's just like a normal 13 year old girl who, you know, that people got along with, thought the world of her, you know, very responsible, very smart. And, you know. I mean, cops busting their ass here. Yeah. You no, know, and and that's something that, you know, 
beyond that initial 24 hour thing. That's something that we unfortunately don't always see with these stories. And that's that I think in some ways, it, that's the reason sometimes too much time passes with them, especially when they're kids, you know, or, you know, we go back and talk about Walter Collins. I mean, uh-huh. the, the cops are like the villains of the story, practically, yeah. or at least that one guy, at least that one cop was. But, you know, in this case, these guys went above and beyond and they just kept reopening the case. I mean, as recently as, you know, 10 years ago, they had this thing open again. And, you know, there's just no chance you find her alive at this point. There just isn't, you know, and I think that unfortunately a lot of those guys knew that, you know, but never wanted to say it kind of thing, sure. you know, and even the family is like, well, you know, you get to the point where you know that you've got to move on, but you, you don't want to, you know? So, right. Which is why, yeah, they had the memorial, but then still right. added money. But to still, the but yeah. And then, but still something has, somebody had second thoughts after the memorial and it, I don't know who it was. Somebody in the family did yeah. added some more money, got the case opened up all over again, at least started working again. And, uh, but still even using things they didn't have in 1973, but it still didn't do any good. You know? Yeah, I, I think it would. I mean, you need some kind of closure, but also I could see, you know, feeling guilty like you gave up if it's a family yeah, member, if you sure, don't sure. see it through, which it, no matter how heartbreaking it is, God, that's yeah. a terrible situation to be in. I know it. I know it. Um, yeah. Uh, oh, gosh, I had a thought, but I lost it. Okay, so we'll. Oh, oh, what I was going to say is uh, I could see like if we go missing and people talk to the friends and family of us, be like they would they would like it. But then they'd listen to like three episodes of the podcast and be like, fuck these guys. We're not looking for it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's about right. So oh, kind of okay. like the it's a we'd be in the same situation that like gangsters were in the 1920s. Yeah, probably just another gangster shot. them. let them kill each other. Who cares? And that rival podcast. So, yeah, exactly. So that'd be the end of that or one of our uh, stalkers. So, yeah, right. Well, let's, uh, fingers crossed, let's uh, talk about, oh, this main, well, main, it's a secondary story, but this is a yeah, weird one, man. I know. This is so weird. I mean, it's, it's from a movie. bizarre. Yeah. Except, except the plot wouldn't work because no one would buy it because there's no plot here. Right. I mean, there's no plot. I mean, it's, it's such a simple, it should be such a simple story. And there's no reason this happened. It makes no sense. It really doesn't. I mean, short of alien abduction, I got nothing for you here. So So just some highlights since people already heard this just a minute ago. But Brandon Swanson uh, leaves a party, drives his car into a ditch, calls some people, can't get a hold of them. Calls his parents. parents. Yeah, calls his mom and dad. They're on the phone with him the entire time. 45 minutes. tells him exactly where he is, except he's not. (laughs) Right. And they're driving all over the place trying to find him. And then the next thing you know, he says, oh, yeah, I'll take a shortcut. I'm on my way to town. I can see the town. I can see the lights from here. I took a shortcut through a field. Uh, oh, there's some water somewhere. Um, oh, shit. And that's it. And his and phone's that's it. dead, too. Yeah. And how'd you like that to be your last words? To <laughs> so, but still, so many questions. Insane. I mean, this is nuts. Okay, go ahead. Sorry. So a couple, a couple questions. So his phone is dead after that, which means it either died or his battery taken out, destroyed, something something where it goes straight to voicemail. Well, you know my theory. You know, you heard my theory. My theory uh-huh. is he fell in the river. That's what yeah. happened to his phone. Um, I, I don't think he drowned. I mean, he, I suppose he could have, but Maybe he hits his um, head on a rock or something or anything. I mean, but I think that's what happened to his phone. Even if he didn't fall in, I think his phone did, 
Because uh-huh. you got to remember, this has been a few years ago. So it's not like, um, you know, back then you didn't have an iPhone in 2008. In and, and, and hey, listen, yeah, right. And listen, those early iPhones were, you know, if it, if it water, if it rained and it was in your pocket and it didn't even get wet, but it was around moisture, it quit working. So yep. now you can drop them in water. Well, I mean, for a very short amount of time, but still they're water resistant. And so, but in 2008, you got that thing wet, forget it. So, right. you know, so he probably had a razor phone or something, you know, which immediately died as soon as yes. it water. So, yes. And a good tip for people too. If you um, end up putting too much water in your rice, you can just toss in a couple <laughs> iPhones um, to, to bounce it out. Um, so, okay, something I'm wondering though, about just him driving and not knowing where he is and all that, like people said he wasn't that fucked up. Was he maybe fucked up? I don't know. I don't know. That's the thing. Um, I mean, I suppose he could have been, uh, I mean, maybe he was on something else. Maybe we yeah. hadn't been drinking for all Smoke we know. He'd take it the first time. Maybe, but I mean, it just makes absolutely, I, I just, I cannot wrap my head around this. You know, he's convinced that he's outside of Lind, but to get to away. Lind, you had to go through Marshall to get there because he let, he went down the road that connects Canby to Marshall, right? He's on that road. And they found him a mile off that road. Again, why? But let's just stick with the other one first. Uh He's on that highway. And to get to Lind, you have to go through Marshall. So how did he not know that he had not been through the town he lived in? Especially to end up with Lind, unless he went a side road, which is possible. Maybe he got onto a side road and went that way and thought he was in Lind. Maybe he didn't take the highway. We don't know for a fact that he didn't. But then how the hell did he get back up to Taunton then, which is back the opposite direction for Marshall and Lind? And why did it take him two hours to go 13 miles? Yeah. Unless he went all the way down to Lind and then drove all the way back, which if he had done that, why didn't he say that? And why did he think he was in Lind? Makes uh-huh. no sense. Yeah. None of it makes sense. Because Unless, you think- he was, like you said, maybe he's really messed up, but he didn't seem that way to his parents when they talked to him. He seemed fine. In fact, yeah. he was irritated because they, you know, he, he got irritated with them because he's flashing his lights and honking his horn. And his dad's like, I don't see anything, man. And I'm like, well, I'm doing it. I'm doing it. How come you can't see it? Well, are, are you sure you sent it to the right place? Yeah. Man, I'm sure I can. I can. I, mean, I can hear the conversation in my head because I've right. had that same conversation with my parents. <laughs> you know, what are you stupid? You know, you're a teenager. Of course, your parents are stupid. You know, but they're not. But you seem like it when you're a teenager. But I don't know, man. It's just none of this makes sense to me. And and my other question is, and I, I I'm getting all worked up about this again, just like I did when I was working on the podcast. Why did no one ever ask these questions? Why did anyone ever ask why he thought he was in Lind? And why did it take two hours to go 13 miles? No one asked that. I don't understand why. Why didn't the cops try to figure this out? You would think, too, that he, you know, he's already calling his parents and kind of eating crow about everything that happened. You'd think if he could, he would say, like, I got lost. I'm not exactly yeah, well, sure told, where I am. Yeah, and he said he'd, he said he'd had a couple of drinks. 
So it's yeah. not like, I mean, if you did something else, I mean, it was on, you know, ate a bunch of mushrooms or something, you would have thought he'd mention that when, when they couldn't find him anywhere, but he right. didn't seem messed up. Hmm. It's it's interesting. We were, you were talking about, you know, the parents, like when you're a kid, your parents are dumb. And I was just thinking of that, that Mark Twain quote, when he said, when I was a boy of 14, my <laughs> father was so ignorant, I could hardly stand to have the old man around. But when I got to be 21, I was astonished at how much the old man had learned in seven years. <laughs> All right, exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, yes, yeah, so this one is, you even talked about how the chances of it being some kind of opportunistic thing for some killer or something how? like that, like it could, it just couldn't. It yeah. Couldn't I mean, even... I suppose. It, okay. But okay. So I suppose someone could have followed him out of candy, right? Like followed him from a party or something, but I would have, let's say I was a serial killer and I'm, I would have given up. Yeah. He drove around for two hours. Two hours. Nowhere. And listen, Guessing I've free. been through that area. There's nothing there. And it's not, it's not like some heavily wooded mountainous area here. It's it's prairie. I mean, it's farmland. That's all that's there. So it's not even like, you know, he's just so baffled by where he was. I mean, there's nowhere to go. I mean, I mean, I, I I know I know the area. I mean, I've been through this area. So it doesn't, none of this makes sense to me. This story just makes absolutely no sense. Where did you uh where'd you find this one? Do you remember? Uh, it's uh, yeah, I think I I had written a short version of it in uh, as one of the stories in Without a Trace, uh -huh. and then I decided to dig a lot deeper for the podcast. So I started getting into like the newspaper reports and stuff, and gotcha. just, just to see what was said at the time and when the searches took place and when the hunts went on and stuff. And then I started asking a lot of questions to myself, like I got to get a map out here. Because I, I was so confused. And I'm like, Lind, you know, I kept seeing references that Lind was on the way uh -huh. to, to Marshall. It's not. That's what I pulled out the map. It's not on the way. It's past it. That's when I started to really get confused. You hmm. know, it's just that's what's so strange about this is, you know, I mean, that's that's minor. I mean, what's really strange is kid disappeared and nobody knows where he is or what happened to him that's the really strange part but i'm just the the investigation itself has has really confused me uh -huh. you know it just does it really confuses me i don't understand how why this was never brought up did they I mean, say maybe it was but i never saw it in any of the stuff i found any of the articles or anything i found did they say anything about um, and you might have mentioned this, but the the party that he was at, was he familiar with that town and that place and how to get? Yeah, back these home? were they, they were friends of his and stuff. And and he just yeah, he knew how to get home because his college, the, the school he'd been going to for a year was in Canby. And so that's that technical school was there and he was, you know, studying wind turbines and stuff. And he was went to a party with his friends from graduation. And so he knew all these people. And he was hanging out with them. It was friends of his for the evening. And his friends all said, yeah, he had a couple of drinks, but he wasn't drunk when he left. And then he took off and said, hey, guys, I'm on a head on home. And he took the same road he'd been taking every single day back and forth, 30 miles between Canby and Marshall. Huh. And yet somehow yeah. thought he was in Lind, past Marshall. That's what he tells his dad, walking around in the woods. Instead, he was up by Taunton, which is only 13 miles outside of Canby, and on the right road. I mean, it's it's on the highway to Marshall. It just doesn't make any sense. And when they found his car, it was a mile off the highway 
on a gravel road, which don't, don't, if you think you hear gravel road and you're thinking, Oh God, it must be in the middle of nowhere. It's not. Um, there are lots of, lots of rural roads or gravel where I grew up. We had lots of gravel roads. If you go down to Southern Illinois and most of them are paved now, but if you go down to Southern Illinois and you get off the main highways, all the roads are gravel. They just are. I mean, it's just, it's a rural thing and uh, townships and things don't have that much money and they just maintain the gravel roads. So it's not like it was so remote that no one would have ever found them. Again, you could, if you set off a firework on one of those, you could see it for miles around up there. It's so flat and so open and it's just open prairie. And so gotcha. we're not talking about where it would have been so hidden or so remote either. I mean, you say it's a mile off, but um, for, for those of you who didn't grow up in the country, we knew exactly how far a mile was because all of our country roads were perfect squares. Uh, a square mile, everything was a square mile. Everything was on a grid, uh, just like Utah, like when they rebuilt Chicago after the fire. Anytime you hear a town, it's on the grid system. Yeah, um, that means it's flat, it's straight, and all of the, everything is laid out. That's that's how this is too. They're on a rural grid system. So when they say it's a mile off, it just means that it would have connected back to the highway in a square. So it's not even really that far off the road. Right, so. right. And so the dog's trace is sent to a river, but they, they did mention if they thought if he would have fallen into the river, they would have found him at some point, right? Well, that and the water wasn't, I mean, there were spots that were deeper, but most of the river, it wasn't moving fast. It wasn't that deep. Um, he knew how to swim, you know, I mean, I suppose he could have fallen and hit his head, like you said, but they really felt again, though, that, and that's the thing. I mean, yes, there were some woods and things around the river, but not that much, uh -huh. you know, it's, it's, it's still prairie area. So it's not even like, you know, they, they, it was so thick, they couldn't get through. Now those cops were coming out there on their days off and walking the banks and people were riding around on horses and ATVs and stuff. So, I mean, they were really covering that area and they really thought it's not that it's not like falling into the Mississippi river and you're never seen again. It right. was really a glorified Creek, you know, so it's not even that big. So gotcha. that's not that's not an answer. I mean, it's an answer as to, you know, how his trail could be lost or what might have happened to his phone. But, you know, as far as him drowning, that they were these guys were experienced and they're saying, hey, listen, if he if he fell in here and drowned, we'd have found it. We looked everywhere. Bizarre, so, man. I mean, I'm not saying it couldn't happen. All of these things are still possibilities yeah. as far as him drowning. I mean, it is possible. And his body was on the bottom of the creek for some reason. I mean, on that, and a serial killer grabbed him off the road. But again, I don't know how they found him, but you know, let's just say nothing's impossible, you know, but I don't know. It's just, none of it makes sense. It just doesn't. Yeah. Well, the we could read our brains for hours. Absolutely no sense at all. And it's just sad. I mean, this was, you know, his parents, their kid, you know, I mean, you know, they leave the front light, porch light on for him. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's just, it's a, it's a really sad story. And, you know, not having an answer to it, I think just makes everything worse. No, you absolutely. Know, it, obviously. So, and, and there were, there were some things people said, maybe he uh, disappeared intentionally. Maybe he's hit by a car. Yeah. Uh, I but, mean, you know, but there were reasons why, you know, that, that didn't pan out. I mean, you know, they they saw no signs of an accident. You know, uh, this is a kid who 
unlikely would have run away, especially since he's getting ready to start school in Iowa to actually be a scientist who does wind turbines and things. You know, he's he'd done his time in his technical school, was moving to a four year college and was going to be leaving in the fall. Why would he run away? It makes no sense. You know, yeah. so, uh, well, I don't know, man. Yeah, I, like I said, we could go back and forth for a long time. I know, nowhere. I know, on this story and get it, yeah, and do as well as the cops did. Right. You know, I mean, they did their best, but it just nothing, nothing. Oh. Well, yeah, at least, and not, I don't want to say a bright side, but uh, Brandon's law is passed requiring an investigation into the case of missing adults under the age of 21. Yeah. Uh, which, I mean, cool, I guess. Yeah, yeah I mean, it's fair. Still... Maybe it'll help somebody else. You yeah. Know, that's the way they looked at it. And, you know, that's that's usually all that you get out of this kind of stuff. You know, these murders and things you'll hear, they're named after different kids that, you know, that now will protect future kids, which that's a, a, a silver lining, right. I guess. But still, it's too bad that it had to happen in the first place to create a silver lining, I suppose. Yeah, well, OK, that's all I got for that. So I'm going to jump on to something else now. Yeah, um, yeah. Probably because yeah, it's sad. But um, I'm getting even... depressed here. So yeah. <laughs> I wanted to give a, a quick shout out to our recent subscribers on Patreon. So thank you so much for supporting the show to Robin, Bob, Cindy, Jennifer, Mufasa's mommy, Janine, Justin, Laura, and Alexandra. So thank you so much for supporting the show. I hope you're enjoying the Sinister series and all the yeah. backlog stuff. Yeah, we, have we are there. getting ready for uh, the next episode is actually my favorite episode. Yeah. Um, of the series and and i knew it was coming so i've been very excited about this one i will say it's a little long but uh-huh. it is um it is a uh, it's a detective story and it's the hero the real hero of our story uh because there is one he just doesn't come into it till later uh but this guy's my like my favorite character in the whole story and uh, this is my favorite sequence that i'm writing right now uh so it'll be out next week as a matter of fact so um yeah if you uh if you haven't signed up for the patreon and you want to uh now is a good time to start getting caught up on the episodes we've already done because we're up to episode 14 50, now 50 uh the next one will be 15 yeah, yeah next episode yeah. will be episode 15 and so it's been a lot of fun and it is I don't know, man, there's a good 15 hours of at least of oh, yeah. H.H. Holmes here. So uh, anyway, if you're interested, check it out. Uh, Patreon.com slash American Hauntings. Uh, I talked about it at the beginning of the episode, too, but uh, I think you'll enjoy it. So, yeah. Hell yeah. Um, well, it is now time for our ghostwriter segment. So if you have a question or comment about the world of macabre, you can email us at American Hauntings Podcast at gmail.com. This comes to us, Troy, from our friend Jeff. So Jeff grew up in Decatur, and he reached out to us a while back. And um, he's in L.A. now, and he's running a podcast production company called Rabbit Grin Productions. They do uh, Dax Shepard's Armchair Expert, Anna Ferris, Brie Larson, uh, the Always Sunny podcast, a bunch of cool stuff. Yeah. And uh, and I had a call with him, but he just reached out to be like, hey, man, um, I see what you guys are doing. I love it. I know you talk about audio issues and everything if you want i can like help you out we can just chat and so i we did a video call and he helped me out like just oh, good. you know out of the good grace of his heart um but he he wrote in again 
And he said, uh, hey, Cody, just listen to your road trip horror movie episode. I always love those because my letterbox gets filled up. But I couldn't pass <laughs> up the opportunity to share with you a road trip uh, horror short film I made. It's called The Detour. It's about a couple who gets lost on a trip and encounters a strange couple that they think have nefarious intentions for them. We shot it on the country roads outside Chicago back in 2015. If you like that, there's a bunch of other films I've done there. And if you feel like sharing this with your legions of fans, I wouldn't mind it. Oh, cool. Um, it's a yeah. YouTube channel? Yes, so it is called maplightfilmworks.com slash watch, or you can just Google Maplight Filmworks, um, but it's on YouTube and it's at Maplight Matt Maplight Filmworks. Uh sorry. And I watched Good. it. It's like I'm gonna 18, check it out. Yeah, I meant to send it That's to you the cool. other day, but yeah, it's, it's thanks, like 18 man. minutes. Um, it's shot really well too, and the actors seem awesome. like actors and not people that are in a short film <laughs> like your friends time. that you yeah, yes, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I turn those on a lot of times. Like, oh, let's watch this trailer. Okay, this is the guy's cousin and uh -huh. his next door neighbor, and I'm not watching this. Yeah, yeah. they were paid in pizza oh, well, cool. and beer, and yeah. yeah. Uh, but yeah, so that's that's Jeff oh, with awesome. Maplight yeah, Film Works. Yeah, yeah. Well, we'll uh, we'll put up a link to it. Um, yes, I'll yeah, put the show we'll notes a link to it. Else. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, um, that's all I got, man. All right. Well, cool. Thanks, guys, for uh, tuning in. Uh, always, um, It's always fun to get to do an episode. And, man, we are closing in on the end of this season. I uh, there's only two it. more shows left, two more episodes left. And uh, as you already know, I have uh, – I think I already told you, and I'm talking to you, Cody, everybody's uh -huh. listening into our conversation. But right. I have so much material that I could not use uh -huh. this season. So uh, I am doing – I have already decided – I know I was talking about it, but I've already decided – uh, without a trace too. Um, oh, hell yeah. So, yeah. So I, you know, folks have sent me some really great ideas about some things that we haven't covered. And I got a stack. I mean, I've just got a stack of really interesting stories, but we just weren't able to get to them. I mean, we can't, I mean, we cannot just keep going on we, indefinitely we with this season. It's not a, it's not the missing podcast, you know, it's just, right. um, we wanted to do a season of some historical mysteries and some recent ones, but yeah, I'm going to be digging in deeper again. So I'm excited about it because that's, it's always one of my favorite books to write anyway. So now I get to do some of the stuff we didn't get to in this season. Awesome. So that'll be fun. Yeah, it'll be a lot of fun. So anyway, guys, uh, thanks so much. And uh, we will be back um, in two weeks or one week if you're on Patreon, but we'll be back in two weeks with um, one that I always, I do post a little thing about it every year on the anniversary of the disappearance and get a lot of feedback on it. So I think people are going to enjoy this episode because it is um, definitely expanded on anything I've ever done on this story before. So we'll see nice. you for that is the, is the last episode of this season going to be the person that's the most gone somehow no no um <laughs> no the last one of the season is going to be a kind of a holiday themed episode so Ooh, okay. now it's close to christmas so we should have one so and anyway, enough that'll be our missing holiday person or persons <laughs> actually plural so gosh we anyway make, we make a mess of the holiday season don't we i Just know doing... well it's you know you know how it is. Yeah, it's our prerogative. Uh, okay. <laughs> uh, this episode of the American Hogs podcast was written by Troy Taylor and it was produced and edited by me, Cody Beck. If you enjoyed the show, leave us a review on iTunes, tell your friends, neighbors, and random people on the street about it. And follow Go us and on iTunes. Go and text us. You can text us. Text us. What's the number Here's again? The text line. 217-791-7859. Uh, there you go. So yeah, iTunes, Spotify, text line, anywhere you listen to your favorite podcast, find the website at AmericanHogsPodcast.com uh, for more info about the show, notes, photos, links, and more. 
You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, anywhere else that you waste hours every day when you're supposed to be working or studying or paying attention to your children, whatever you do. Um, <laughs> we promise that we're much more. You know, no, that probably wasn't that probably wasn't the best taste of a comment <laughs> after this episode, but okay, you know. All right, uh, you know, we're just we're ter- okay. Uh, thanks for listening. We Don't leave them on the front porch. So. Definitely wouldn't do it without you. <laughs> Until next time, goodbye. So long. See you later. See you later. Oh, boy. <laughs> that was, you know, we didn't have a ton of stuff to talk about, but it was still a, a longer oh, outline. Yeah, yeah, no, it was fun. So, well, it just, there was a lot. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, Place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager. Only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today.